1: Stay more comfortable, more concealed, and in the stand longer with OSIO gear. Premium camouflage apparel created for bow hunters by bow hunters. OSIO's revolutionary patented camo patterns and innovative features are designed to keep whitetail bow hunters totally invisible and dead quiet. Elevate your game with OSIO. Visit ASIOgear.com and take 20% off your purchase with code TRUTH20. Mobile Hunters, our buddies over at Tethered are always innovating to keep us more mobile and in the game when it counts. From the Tethered One Sticks, the Fast Pack to the Ultra Lock Saddle, Tethered is always designing to increase comfort and utility while reducing bulk, weight, and fiddle factor of mobile hunting gear. And now, they've outdone themselves yet again by creating the carbon fiber forged Predator CFX platform, the latest fully featured mobile saddle platform that raises the bar for what's possible in mobile hunting gear. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old tree climbing veteran, go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting gear. Welcome to the Truth From The Sand deer hunting podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 377. Today I'm talking with my buddy, Tim Buñau about trusting his gut, simplifying hunting, and finding success, so stay tuned. All right. All right. All right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. And it feels like this week, like spring is uh, going to try to make or is going to make an attempt to at least peek its head in for um, for a couple days. And I, for one, I'm here for it. I finally this week got rid of all the snow in my backyard, just the way that my house sits. The backyard gets no sun. So it takes forever for the snow to melt off. But I I got all, I got a bunch of archery stuff in to build my, my traditional arrows and uh, did that through this week and was able to actually get outside and shoot a target. I got a small bag target. I think maybe I mentioned this in the last show. Maybe I didn't, but I got a small bag target that I, I put in my archery room and it's only, you know, maybe five yards, maybe even less than that. It's just basically from, (laughs) it's from the washing machine to the back wall of the archery room basically because my archery room doubles as the uh, laundry room and, uh, I put a bag target in there that way, you know, I can go down, you know, during lunch, you know, cause I work from home and I can go down and rip off some arrows in the evening. I can rip off some arrows. Um, and I'm not kind of beholden to the weather or what time it is uh, to just kind of, um, you know, just kind of continue to get the feel of it, to be quite honest with you. Cause it's still, um, it's it still just, is an awkward feeling for me just because I'm still, you know, really, really, really new to it. Um, so that's been super helpful, but did get the stuffing to build my arrows and, and, and things of that nature. Um, and was able to actually get into the backyard because the snow finally melted off. we got some rain, got rid of the snow, warmed up a little bit. And I was actually able to shoot out to about, I think the furthest distance was like 21 yards. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm going to go, um, I'm hunt, I'm hunt ready at the moment, but surprisingly I was on target and had some really good shots. And, at this point it felt really good. Just anything inside of like 12 and under, you know, which for a lot of people probably like, yeah, well, no kidding. It's 12 yards. It's not a far shot, but for me, that's a big deal, right? 12 yards with the, with the longbow, you know, there's a lot for me, at least at this point that can still go wrong. Um, and so I was getting more and more consistent there. So I was super stoked about that. So, but with that, hopefully the, the weather is turning and, uh, we can start to, or at least I can start to focus my efforts now on, um, uh, on scouting on the weekends. But with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. I uh, have a cool show for you guys today. I have my buddy, Tim Bunau on. So Tim is a native New Yorker. Um, he lived in the area of New York. That's kind of near the Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania border. So, you know, most of his life growing up, you know, he hunted New York, of course, he would also dip into that uh, particular area of Pennsylvania and hunt all public land. You know, that's what he's basically always done. And then a couple of years ago, um, you know, Tim's just an avid outdoorsman, regardless of, you know, hunting, you know, whatever critters it might be, fly fishing, hiking, scouting, biking. He's just a guy who, who loves the outdoors. And so, you know, uh, several years ago, he made a plan to venture, venture West, you know, and, and go somewhere where he could consistently just kind of chase, all the critters he wanted to chase, right? He it didn't satisfy him to only be able to go do an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt or whatever hunt every so often. You know, he loves hunting whitetails, but he wanted to kind of expand and wanted to have those experiences more consistently. And so Tim made the voyage west and moved to Montana. Um it's probably been almost 5 years. I don't even know if I asked him on the podcast how long it's been, but it's been several years, several years. And much like me, you know, well, he was actually one of the first people, you know, he, he messaged me after I killed the deer in Kansas and just said, you know, basically, Hey, you know, awesome. The way you did it, you you know, you had it a way that you wanted to, you had a way you wanted to get it done and you weren't willing to kind of waver off of it. You're willing to accept those failures that were going to come by being stubborn. Right. And Tim is very much the same way where, you know, when he has an experience that he wants to have, he just kind of goes at it full steam ahead and doesn't stop until he gets that, um, that experience. And so, we talk a lot about, you know, just the ups and downs of, you know, hunting. Like as you, you know, you learn more about hunting and and, and you attempt to simplify things um, because you find that whenever things are simpler, uh, they make more sense and you end up having more success. I won't get into the season that he had this year. He had a, I mean, just a baller season and some of the stuff that he pulled off. Um, a lot of spotting and stalking, you know, is part of his game now, of course, hunting in the West. And so we talk a little bit about that because it's something that I'm, always really interested in, cause I love that part of the, uh, the hunting game is just that, that ground, uh, approach. And so he gets to do a lot of that, but he's still getting into a tree at times, especially when he's, you know, white tail hunting in certain scenarios, but the white tail hunt he had this year was just kind of bananas. And then he had another hunt in the fall that was just kind of mind blown. So I'll let him tell you those stories. Um, and we'll just kind of jump into the show. So as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. And today I have on I got, so I was talking to uh, a mutual friend of, of Tim and I's, uh, our buddy, Greg Litzinger today, before we jumped on to do this podcast. And I just said, I was like, Hey, I was like, we were just bullshitting about stuff, talking about his wrist actually. And, uh, I was like, Hey, I was like, I'm talking to Tim today. He's like, oh, Timmy trifecta. And I was like, yeah, and so, <laughs> so you got a new nickname, Timmy trifecta. Um, that's the, that's the new nickname. Name. Uh, but I got on my buddy, Mr. Tim Bunau. now what's going on brother?
2: Not not too much, man. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Yeah,
1: dude. I'm good, buddy. Just, I'm hanging in there, man. We were chopping it up before we started recording. You know, I was out flinging some arrows, getting some reps in with the, with the longbow, you know, and uh, feels good. You know, I I like, I like where I'm at. Yeah. I was, I was nervous. Not going to lie. You know, I I was like, (laughs) I was like, man, I'm going to get this thing home. I'm going to start shooting. I was like, I'm going to just be spraying it all over and not even hitting the target. You know, that was, (laughs) that was like my biggest fear. Right. But you know, we're on target, we're hitting some X's, you know, and I started shooting out to, I think it was 18 yards today is what I stretched it to. And the the biggest thing for me was like getting the up, like if my up and down is consistent, cause I'm shooting instinctive, I'm not aiming, you know, per se, right. I'm just picking a spot and shooting. So the biggest thing for me was I can fix my left and right. Cause that's usually the me torquing my wrist or that's me pulling through the shot too far, you know, overdrawing or whatever the case is or underdrawing. It's like, I can fix that stuff like by body feel and stuff like that. I was like, but I want, like the biggest thing I was nervous about was like, can I get my yardage right by just looking where I want to land and hitting the spot, like throwing a baseball. And so far so good. It's like, I'm able to move distances and, you know, be, you know, be on the right up and down within, within reason, you know, to be, to be on a whitetail. So I'm stoked about that.
2: Yeah. So I gotta do is fine tune it now practice
1: yeah yeah lots of practice dude and you know what man like i love shooting a bow and when we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording too it's like my shoulders can't do the compound for a bunch of reps but the the longbow doesn't bother it and it's just so cool to fling arrows with a longbow and watch the arrow like that's just the coolest thing
2: (laughs) doing uh so i started doing indoor archery um you know some of the tournaments and stuff here and that's one thing that I always kind of step back there. There's a guy, Leo, he's a, he's a phenomenal. I, I just don't understand how they're consistently doing this. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just watching it, it's something that I can see myself eventually getting to that point of wanting to learn that one. Mm-hmm. But I I feel like that's just going to be a whole nother rabbit hole. Like Once, yeah, once I pick yeah. that up, it's probably, you know, that or nothing after that.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, like I'm surprised that you haven't yet only because in knowing how much of a like purist about things that you, that you are, you know what I mean? Like, right. You know, you moved from New York to Montana because you wanted that hunt experience. Like you wanted the, you wanted to just kind of enthrall yourself in it. You know what I mean? And you fly fish, you know what I mean? Like you do the hardest stuff. Like fly fishing for me is like, I'm like, I I couldn't even, I couldn't even get a string wet. I right. couldn't get a line wet on that thing you know what I mean but but let me ask you this have you started uh, do you tie your own flies
2: I have um, okay. I, I don't um kind of don't have the patience for it like it's okay. just like the, the satisfaction of having a fish you know bite the fly that you tied is great mm-hmm. except I, my flies are so shitty that one fish <laughs> and the thing's just unraveled <laughs> so it's just pointless <laughs> you know that's just a bare hook right. you know right. my, <laughs> you know like, And then like my casting, it's, it's so, it's good, but it's not the greatest. And sometimes, you know, I'll still get a whip in there. And again, Mm -hmm. you know, that fly just unraveled and it's just a bare hook, you know, or it's getting down to that point. So it's just easier just to go to Shields and pick up a couple. And and, and then the, the streams here are so, they're, they're different. If you go West or, you know, if you stay central, um, tributaries Mm -hmm. and all sorts of mountain streams all sorts of different little critters in the water. So hmm. learning how to tie all those things or that, you know, something that's specific to, you know, that time frame. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. it, it yeah. way above way above uh what I really want to get into. I just like trying to catch some fish with it.
1: And right, not trying right. to I'm not snag to to, myself. Right. Yeah. I, I always wanted to uh I always wanted to get into fly fishing because my, my stepdad was a big fly fisherman growing up and we would trout fish together, you know, all the time, you know, from season open till, you know, basically until we couldn't fish anymore, essentially. And he was a really good fly fisherman. Like, you know, thinking I didn't really recognize it or didn't think about it when I was a kid watching him, you know, do it. Um, it wasn't until I got older, you know, and really probably started, you know, when I really kind of got serious about bow hunting and kind of where like when you see really, really good bow hunters, you know, or I'll give the example of watching, and I've told this story before, I was watching Jared Scheffler shoot at the great American outdoor show. And I was like, dude, that guy's an artist with a long bow. The the Mm -hmm. stuff he does with that thing is just insane, you know? And looking back on it now, you know, fishing with my stepdad as a a fly fisherman, I remember him like wading into the water and just like walking down the stream and I really wasn't sure what he was doing. Why does he keep moving? I'm, like, I'm going to fish this hole right here. You know what I mean? And he was just chasing whatever he was chasing, changing flies and like, and, you know, and he was great at casting. And it was just like, I was watching someone who was like a master of the craft. Right. You know what I mean? And I wish in his like heyday, I wish in his, his prime that he would have been able to make it out West to hunt or to, uh to fish some of those streams, you know, just cause I mean, you know, when we were growing up, he didn't have the money to do that. But like, it would have been awesome for him to have that experience because he was like, he was a master at it. Like he was as right. good as it gets at fly fishing. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an art form, man. And I'm, I'm kind of like in the same boat as you, dude. I was like, I just like to do the stuff. Like, <laughs> right. you know, I like to go out for the experience. Like I don't want all the work. Now, the one thing with the trad stuff is like, I will go back to build my own arrows, you know, cause you kind of right. have to, to tune the arrow and stuff like that. But you know, I'll miss the days of just calling Chad up at Excess and be like, Hey man, I need a dozen arrows you know? <laughs>
2: and, and they show up and they shoot, you know, and they show up and they're, they're but, perfect. So yeah, you're good. Yeah, I, I've, yeah. I've definitely dove into, uh, the bow, the bow maintenance side a little bit more and more mm-hmm. now. Um, I just mm-hmm. tied on a, a brand new, um, center serving, my center serving mm-hmm. started to, to, you know, gave up on life. So I, I kind of just, <laughs> I, I just, I kind of just, I kind of looked into it. I'm like looking at it. I'm like, there's really not too much involved. There was one tool that you needed for it. So I, I went, you know, went and bought the tool and um, yeah, I, I gave it a go. And it's, I mean, she's still holding on strong right now. And it, it was kind of like another, you know, one of those other, you know, you tune your own arrows and stuff like that. And it's mm-hmm. just another, another thing that's like, you know, I, I did that. You know, yeah. rather than having someone having to rely on someone else. And it's great. I have a great uh, archery shop in town. and I become, you know, pretty good friends with everybody there and the owner mm-hmm. and I'm comfortable enough where if I mess something up within, you know, the, the bow itself I can take it there and he's gonna he's just gonna be like the idiot, you know, and fix it, right. you know. And he's that's about it, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: I've never ventured into playing like messing with my bow. That was one thing I just never uh, it's appealed to me. It's just um, I never put the time in to kind of know or understand. You know, have, again, I have a buddy you know that has a shop, and if I ever needed anything, I just took it to him, and I would get it back, and I'd be shooting bullet holes, and I'd be good to go. Now, for a long time, I did make you know did make my own arrows. You know, I just enjoyed fletching them and enjoyed the process of them and stuff like that. Um, and then I started shooting you know the chat or the Exodus, like their their MMT arrows, and mm-hmm. they're very kind of like they're they're killer arrows and they build them in such a specific way that they just come out like perfect, you know? And so I was like, well, you know, I could either let them do it and know that the arrow is dead on and take one thing out of the equation of what could be screwing it up. I know my buddy can dial my bow in. I know my arrows are dialed in. The only thing that's going to mess this thing up if I'm missing the mark is me. (laughs) So, you know, and then, you know, now going to like the traditional side where it's like, all right, now I'm, I'm making an arrow. You know, tuning the arrow, trying to learn to read the arrow. You know, for to understand whether I'm weak or I'm or I'm too stiff or whatever the case is, and you know, what point weight do I want to shoot? And you know, there's just it. It, it seemed more complicated to me, but it actually was a lot, a lot easier. I felt like than, um, yeah, than tuning yeah, a compound, to be honest. That's a whole
2: rabbit hole, right there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, I mean, I think it's one of those things. I think it's almost like this with anything. Cause I think people do it with hunting too. It's like, you can make it as simple or as complicated as you want.
2: Exactly. I mean, you can definitely simplify everything. And, um, that's, that's kind of like what I, I guess, uh, kind of leading this one two years ago, uh, when Bo Martana came out, uh, well, pre, it'd be three years ago now. I, I finally admitted to myself that I could shoot great. Um, at the range, you know, on, you know, targets, all that kind of stuff. But I was having issues on animals. I was, you know, Mm. uh, missing, um, you know, I wounded and I just wasn't making the proper decisions. And, you know, then as far as the hunting aspect of it, um, I, I just constantly thinking, well, what, what did, you know, elk hunting, what, what did, what did Corey Jacobson do? you know, what would do in this situation, you know, and what would this person do in this situation? And, um, yeah, I, I just kind of just stopped listening or thinking about what other people were doing and just started hunting myself. And, um, you know, that year uh, I just became opportunistic. I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I shot a, uh, uh, an antelope doe. Uh, she gave me an, a great opportunity and my, you know, that tag, um, is good for either, or most people want the buck. And I just, I had a great opportunity. Um, I wanted to, you know, to get a shot off and get those repetitions in there. And you know, I, yeah, I, I, I took that opportunity and, you know, I, I got her and it was a 78 yard shot. Um, and that's where things just kind of, you know, kept on rolling into it, but you get back to what you said, you know, I just simplify it. Simplify yeah. it and you know, things just kind of you know, um, things start, like to, start to take care of themselves, they take care of themselves. It's almost like a reset, you know, you think so mm-hmm. much about what this person's doing, what you read, or what you heard. Um, just start hunting the way that you see it, and yeah, things kind mm-hmm. of you know started taking care of themselves.
1: Yeah, it's funny, like, and people probably are sick of hearing me saying this. Like, I was talking, Tony Peterson gave me the best advice, you know, probably two years ago. And, you know, I had hit one and lost it in, you know, Missouri, you know, the year before that. And then I actually hit a doe and lost her like early season, not this season, but the season before. And I was just getting and I was on bucks and I was just getting beat in like all these places that I kind of I knew where they were at. I knew what they were doing. And it's just like I just was like a day late and a dollar short or they were at 40 yards and there was something in the way or whatever the case was. That's just kind of what was happening. And he was just like. He's like, dude, he's like, you'll be surprised when you just go back to hunting deer or just in whatever it is, just hunting, like Mm -hmm. without specificity, kind of, you know, and being opportunistic. He's like, you'll be surprised how quickly tags start filling up and how quickly, you know, big animals start hitting the ground whenever you do that, you know in the words were true. Cause that's the approach that I took this year. You know, it's like, and I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna do what I want to do. You know, we'll see how All it right. works out. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be bad, but it'll be mine regardless. It, you know, and you
2: know, in that podcast, you did, um, after you shot your Kansas deer, you had said that you didn't tell anybody because yeah. you, you didn't want the outside noise. And that, that's kind of the same. When you said that, I'm like, man, I'm on the same page. Cause that's the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I went solo this year pretty much. And I, wasn't telling anybody you know what i was on to or you know this and that just because it is it, it's 100 when you talk to someone you tell someone, yeah man i want a good deer well what are you gonna do about it you know this and that well, you know maybe c- c- consider this and consider that and it, it seeps in your mind and you might change something and just going with going with your gut and what you feel the situation calls for is probably the best advice you know that, that you can get is by giving it to yourself that Right. that makes yeah, sense. It's just
1: yeah i mean that's the thing. It's like, especially like, you know, if you've been doing something for a good while and again, it's going back to the, the fundamentals, right? Like that was, that was the idea, you know? And like, I guess, I think what I said about that deer was like, I saw what he did, assumed he's going to do it again. Like there's no other Intel to tell me any different, So I'm just going to base it on, base it on that. Right. And you can basically use that for almost any hunt, right? Whatever mm-hmm. Intel you have, believe it, you know, until something suggests that you shouldn't you know, cause what right. else, what else are you going to go on? Like, otherwise you're just making stuff up, you know? Yep. And that's the thing that we do. I think Cameron said in that, I, and I loved the way you said it. He's like, there, no, it was one of, it was the one I did with Jake. He's like, yeah, he's like, you don't need three other deer hunters to complicate something. It's super simple. <laughs> like, you yeah. know what I mean? And that's exactly what we do. We get around together and we'll have a beer and it's like, you know, and we'll talk about it and beat, beat it to death. And at the end of the day, we'll have it so screwed up you know what I mean? As opposed to just be like, you know, see deer, go kill deer,
2: you know? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So man, I want to, I want to jump since we're talking about white tails. Well, cause you had a, a, you know, we were talking right before we jumped on. I was like, know, yeah, I, I had a pretty good year this year, but I was like, dude, you had a baller year. And I'm like, I'm watching from afar, like cheering you on like, whew. <laughs> you know, cause you know, similarly, I had no clue what you had going on. Cause you didn't really post a whole lot about anything or whatever, as far as like the year, you know, what you were on and how hunts were going. And I had been, you know, basically following along since you had moved. Um, and I knew about some of the you know struggles that you had in like the previous seasons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I was super stoked to see things kind of pan out for you this year. But the one thing I'm always curious about, cause Montana is one of those states that I kind of in the back of my mind, I would like to get to, to whitetail hunt at some point. I just have a hard time justifying making that drive to, and I don't want to just say just hunt whitetails, but like, if I'm there, I kind of want to hunt elk, but what was, you know, how, what was, I guess the, the transition or how was it different or what did you have to think about differently or do differently coming from, you know, hunting Pennsylvania public and New York public to now hunting critters now in, montana like montana whitetails where maybe there's not as much pressure but there's a whole lot of other things that are different that you kind of have to consider
2: um i mean basically like you're talking back east you're you're, i mean just large blocks of timber so Mm -hmm. narrowing things down takes a lot of you know a lot of work and trying to figure that out that's you know the scouting the boots on the ground uh here i primarily hunt i i do i i only hunt um not saying that that's the only way I want to, but that's just what I've been doing is, uh, river bottoms and mm-hmm. the river bottoms, some, some spots, they're, uh, 50 yards, you know, wide from the edge of the river to maybe a cliffed out edge. Um, you know, the, some of the islands are a couple hundred yards long and then, um, you know, some of them, you know, it could be, you know, maybe up to a half a mile, you know, with timber, uh, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, the whitetail, aspect of it it's just you have less to focus in on or less, right. less to explore so it's easier to focus in on smaller areas and then i've i've gone I've, I've attempted a few times to do a little bit of early season hunting it's just mainly uh if i can't get elk hunting or um you know, or if I have a, a random day during during the week that again I can't go out hunting. So I would just go hit the river bottom and stuff. I haven't I haven't really given a lot of effort into that one. Everything I've done has been rut hunting, and mm-hmm. uh, that's just you pretty much your your funnel from shed hunting. Um, you know how doe groups are. they they mm-hmm. I can go right now to one area. I guarantee these does are you know bedding in this one area right now. So it's just getting to know those areas just from shed hunting. And then just simplifying it, piecing it one together. Mm-hmm. you know like there's dough group here, there's doe group here. I need a wind here and I could probably get within this area and then you know right. let the, let the, the rut happen and just sit back right. and watch you know so
1: When does the uh, what's the timing of the rut out there? Is it, the, is it similar to what we what we're used to in the east or the Midwest? there's it a little bit different?
2: We're, we're, we're definitely behind. Um, we're we're later, you know, later into it, uh, Mm -hmm. you really start seeing more, I I would say like your typical scrape week, October 30th, push Mm -hmm. it back a few days, you know, into, um, Mm -hmm. you know, into November a little bit. And then you really start seeing a lot of the the ruddier action towards mid November and then, Mm -hmm. you know, going towards, you know, the end of November. And that's, I think November nineteenth of my my second year here was probably one of the the craziest rut days I've ever seen. It was like nineteen bucks in one day, one set. I didn't even eat a snack wow. all day long because it seemed like every time I went <laughs> to go grab something, I hear you know footsteps. So I had to stop and you know it right. was just a, you know something coming through, something coming through. Right,
1: that's a good day, man. When you can't even get on the snacks, what's up?
2: Yeah. I mean, it made, made for a miserable uh, kayak back, you know, it was like, all I could think about is food. And that's like a two hour drive, you know, and there's, there's no fast food restaurants, no, nothing. A lot of those gas stations in those small towns, they, they close at nine o'clock at night and, you know, 10 o'clock. So you're coming back in the dark. Right. You know, but.
1: Right. Yeah. So, so a lot of those, are oh, you, you just mentioned kayak, are you kayaking into a lot of these places like along the river bottom or, or, or,
2: it, it it varies there's a couple islands that i can get into um where the the paddle back isn't you know isn't too bad and then uh some of the other islands um it's just you know walking by foot it's either taking the long way around a uh, block management or some blm that's pretty much just all sage country that just have one little one little finger going into you know an island where you can hop down the bank and onto these islands and stuff
1: right what a uh so so the deer that you killed this year that was a pretty that was a pretty cool hunt and what was the timing of that was that the rut also this year
2: yeah that was was like late november like november 19 around that 19th time or something the 20th okay. something like that nice. um so
1: how how did all that shake like so was that a river bottom too
2: yep yep, yep. uh that was a okay. river bottom um that was an area that i had shed hunted my first year here and um I, I recognized a phenomenal pinch. I never got to it until last year. And last year I went down there um, just kind of, I, everything else was not, nothing was happening. Uh, I think the river was too frozen over, so I couldn't kayak to it. So I was kind of, you know, i like, dwindling down. Like, you know, what? I've never, never given the spot a chance. to have a good win for that, you know, specific spot. Um, I'm just going to go in there and, uh, you know, just set up. And I had my saddle with me and I was also prepared to sit on the ground. I got there and it was super crunchy. Like it was no wind, no nothing. And the, the, the snow had that squeaky crunch to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, how am I going to get back into this area? So I just decided I'm going to rattle my way back to where I want to be. So I, I got to a point, I sat. I did a rattle sequence, nothing came through. Another 100, 200 yards, did a rattle sequence. I think I had a small, like a uh, small eight point. Um, he came charging through looking for me. I finally got to where I wanted to be and I realized that I couldn't get into a tree that I needed to be, you know, I was going to be on the ground and, you know, it was just kind of like just more or less uh, just analyzing the area, figure out where I needed to be. I knew where some trails were, got myself in between the two. I sat down for 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, I saw you know the white antlers coming through the dark, and the, the canopy was so thick, you know, all you could see, the sun hit the white antlers coming through, and yeah, it was a right. 20 yard shot, and 20 yard shot. Nice. Um, so that was kind of like you know, this is a good area, you know, I just don't know, right. don't know much about deer or anything like that in there. So this year I went there, same same scenario, I never got to it. It's a three hour drive, right? So I never got okay. to it to scout it, never got to it to uh, prop any stands or anything like that. So I had an opposite wind. So basically I went in there and, uh, um, on opposite wind, I was getting set up in the tree. Um, the tree is kind of a funky, uh, split. So I could, there's no, and I had a twist. So there's no way I can get up in one shot, you know, with a bowstring on my back. And so I had to get back down, got set up, got down, got the bow hook on onto the, or the bow hooked up, started climbing up. I got to just the platform. I look over and I see a deer in the, in the meadow right there, the CRP basically. And I could see antlers on them. So I picked the vinyls up and I saw the, the palmation and the drop tine. And I'm just like, shit, you know, like, like what, what do I do now? You know, I'm just standing there looking down the bows on the ground. I'm looking, I looked at him again. I'm like if he comes back through, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here all night. If he comes back through, you know, that's, this is a deer I, I'm going to take. And as I'm sitting there, so I have a wind that's, you know, kind of quartered to my face. Um, as I'm sitting there, he starts to hook. I'm like, Oh, this bastard's going to be downwind of me. He's going to smell mm-hmm. me. I'm like, well, there's a Russian olive right there. If he goes behind that Russian olive, I think I can get down out of this tree. He gets behind that Russian olive. I just scurry down that tree, like a squirrel. And uh, I, I get to the, I get to my bow and I, I got an arrow knocked in my, so you, didn't get I never, your,
1: you didn't even get your bow up into the tree.
2: No, no, I never got <laughs> the bow into no, the that's tree. That's awesome. So I, I got down on the ground and when I got on the ground, I'm like, okay, now what, you know? And I'm like, well, now it's a stalk. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, kind of like, I'm looking at him and he starts coming towards me and he starts curving. And when he starts going back the opposite direction, I'm like, I have to get to this next tree or he's going to win me again. So I, I, kind of, you know, basically I'm just staying in front of his nose so finally I got to that tree. Well, I mean, this whole thing happened under like 10 minutes, maybe. Uh-huh. So I get to the tree and as soon as I get to the tree, he steps out into another opening and that ended up being like a 41 yard shot, and, you know, a uh, perfect shot on him. He, he wheeled, he came back out. Like he's wondering what the heck happened. And then he stood up on his hind legs and he tipped over right, right back into a, a second <laughs> and it was done, you know dude. That's awesome. Yeah, he was, he was,
1: he was rutting, he was rutting hard, dude. He had no clue what happened.
2: He had no he clue was... what happened and he just know, I mean, that's another thing too that I've noticed with those iron wheels is like those things like, you know, not a uh, product drop or anything like that, but I've been shooting those for a couple of years now. And, right. um, the deer before, uh, the antelope, you know, they don't really know. It just, it kind of just hits them so hard or I don't know what, I don't know what to deal with, but it just, it seems like they've hit right. them and they're like, what mm-hmm. what was that? Yeah. but yeah he uh that's wild he had no idea and um if i didn't make that move he would he would have wounded me, and that would have just been the end of the hunt and i probably would have never seen that deer you know again or i could have sat in that tree for the rest of the season never saw him again they just right. you know how deer are yeah. and it's just a small Dude, that, little piece yeah
1: and that that buck was awesome too man like mm-hmm. such a cool buck like such a cool like antler characteristics um, the, what you're talking about with the, with that iron will, it's funny you say that because I used to shoot, um, day six Evos is what mm-hmm. I used to shoot. Like, um, and they're very similar to, to an iron, iron, wheel.
2: pretty much same thing I would say. Uh,
1: yeah. And, uh, the one I shot the buck in Iowa with one of those. And when I hit him, it was almost the same thing. Like where he kicked mule kicked real hard and hit the ground and just started walking away. Like you had right. no clue what happened, you know what I mean? And then just went like 40 yards away and like f- laid down and died, you know, like it was the weirdest thing. Cause any other deer I've ever shot, like boom, hit jump and then haul ass, you know, right. that was the first one. And it's funny that you say that because that was a similar experience with like a very similar, almost identical broadhead. But two things I was thinking of as, as you were kind of walking through that hunt. So one, you know, being you know a new york and northern pa hunter pri- primarily prior to moving out to um to montana like rattling just you, like we i don't do it here at all right really um and i'm just curious because i know when i get to like the midwest i still even have like it's hit or miss right like missouri it seems to work okay well, iowa it worked um ohio I, I had never had great success with like rattling or anything like that kansas i've had success with it you know so i'm just curious like how how effective is calling, you know, in Montana?
2: I think it's hit or miss. It's probably the same thing. You know, if you, if you're in that deer's area within a good distance and you hit the horns and you you get catch him on the right day. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it's really, you know, it could be effective, but as far as blindly, um, yeah, I mean, it's probably like, you know, maybe 30% of the time, if you're, if you're just blindly going in, just hitting spots and just going, a lot of younger deer coming in, um, you know, really interested into it. Um, what I got,
1: what's go ahead. I'm sorry. You know,
2: you go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, I was just going to ask like, what the, what is like roughly, and I don't expect you to know like the exact number, but just like in your estimation, like, what do you think like the buck to doe
2: ratio is? Uh, God, I, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even know. It, it, they're, they're, so Montana's in pockets pockets. You can mm-hmm. go to, um, you can go to some areas and, uh, you just see swarms of does, you go to some other areas, you know, it's a good, it's a good ratio mix between the two. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, it really is pockets, you know, here and but mm-hmm. same right. looking piece a mile down the road might have one, you know, one deer on it. Right. It's, it's, not, it's <laughs> kind of, it's kind of weird.
1: Right, right. And then, you know, when you got down and you started stalking that deer, I I'm just curious, like how from moving out there and like and doing a lot more, you know, glassing, spotting and stalking type of honey just in general for critters outside of White tails, like whether it's elk or antelope or whatever, like how much better has your ground game gotten since you moved out there?
2: I'd I'd I would prefer a ground game over anything. I'd I'd yeah. Not 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 sounding cocky or anything like that, but I feel like if um, an animal, obviously situational too. Like if mm-hmm. if it's like an antelope, if it's straight up prairie, there's just no there's no way to do it. But if I have, if I feel like I have a couple good moves and a backup move. I feel like I, I'm I'm pretty capable of you know getting the job done or getting in in range or getting to that spot that I wanted to get to you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, uh, you know, with antelope, you get to that spot and you're just too slow. You know, he, he's already mm-hmm. another, you know, you know, 20, 40 yards out of your range. And everything. But yeah. I feel like, I feel like if I can find a critter and he's in a, a decent area, uh, I can make it work. Right. right. And part, part of being small too, you know, I'm, yeah. five, foot, I'm five foot six. So, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a two foot tall sagebrush, I can hide behind or crawl behind a lot better than someone who's six foot something. Right. Yeah. Truth.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the one benefit, right? Like, I'm five, nine, you know, so not too much, you know, taller. Right. And that's the one, that's the one benefit of, you know, being a little smaller. Like, I can make, and you're 100% right. I can make some, I can make some really small stuff, like, say, like in a place like Kansas, work for me for cover mm-hmm. where, Chad could not, you know what I mean? Like, is he, right. he's like, Chad's a big dude. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like trying to hide a Mack truck, you know? Um, me, it's like, I'm trying to hide a Ford Pinto, you know? Right, <laughs> it's like, <right. laughs> it's like a, b- a big difference. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, yeah, you and that can, was kind you of like the, you, can make,
2: more, you can make more of the less, you know? Yeah. Basically. I
1: can make more of less and there's just less of me moving. You know, it's like the spot I killed that deer in, in Kansas. Like it was pretty in the wide open. I had some, I mean, I had a pretty killer setup, but there was definitely opportunity for the deer that came like the does and that buck to see me like for sure. But I just had like enough cover, you know, to where I could stay hidden well enough, right. Just where I could stay constantly kind of behind something because I'm not that big of a dude, you know, um, Chad might've had a harder time, you know, actually he would have like, especially where that deer came through. Because I had, to, I had to shoot from my knees to shoot under these two branches. I don't think as tall as Chad is. I don't think he would have been able to shoot from his knees and still got under the branches. Right. I think he still would have been too tall, you know. And so, look, we suck at basketball. We're never going to be a pro athlete. <laughs> but, you know, chalk one up for the short guys when you're bow hunting in open
2: country. <laughs> right. Yeah, spine, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: were you, were you as confident in your – in your ground hunting capabilities when you lived back east, or did that was that something that kind of evolved as you got out there, and it was kind of re, you know obviously a requirement whenever you're when you're hunting a lot of the western game.
2: That's kind of like the draw uh, for me was to come out here for that opportunity to mm-hmm. learn that more. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tried it a few times, but they're just um, reading the terrain, you know, you have the vegetation, trying to you know catch up with these whitetail um mm-hmm. i was where i was i didn't have a lot of good opportunity to do that um you yeah. know just you, you would see a deer and then within five ten steps with the vegetation and you know the hillsides and everything they, they were gone so you know yeah. you would think they were gone so you try to keep up to the edge and you know either they're still standing there or you know yeah they, yeah, they're, they were they were gone yeah
1: now i've grown to kind of prefer the uh, the ground game too for a couple of reasons. One, because I think it's just, I think it's deadly whenever you start to get capable at it. And I won't even mm-hmm. go as far as to say that I'm proficient at it. Like I've, I've learned some things. i made a lot of mistakes, figured some stuff out that works for me. um But I think more than anything, what it does is actually more for my mental game, which is whenever I'm on the ground, I feel like I'm always in the game. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm in a tree, I feel like I'm kind of I'm letting the deer dictate what's going to happen Mm -hmm. as opposed to when I'm on the ground. I feel like I'm partially dictating the hunt to a degree. And so I feel like I'm always just like around the corner from an opportunity where, you know, this as well as anybody sitting in a tree for long hours or whatever. And you're like, Oh my God, there may not be a deer that's ever walked this place. walked in this spot before, you (laughs) know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, where it's like on the ground, you're like, you know, I'll be in a spot and, kansas and i'll be there for a half hour 45 minutes and be like yeah i'm moving i'm out of here yep. i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to another area and i'm gonna glass and see if i can find something somewhere else you it, know and it's just like it's, it's easy to
2: put yourself in the game
1: yes 100 100 do you kind of feel the same way
2: yeah absolutely i actually uh it's such an easy concept back to uh, making everything simple uh, i was in north dakota first year i moved out here and uh, i was hunting my buddy and we watched a doe and a buck, uh, go by and they were at like, you know, 50 yards as soon as that, you know, as soon as they cleared he's like, let's go, we got to get up there. So we put ourselves 20 yards from that trail where she was, of course, you know, the right, we know that how they, you know, they dog them and everything, or, you know, get on their trail. And, uh, you know, a little guy came through, that was it, but still, just a simple fact of being able to do that and that quick you know because we're on the ground we were you know minimal just bow bag go you know figure out something and make it work real quick and you know if something would have came through you know assuming that i could have made the shot you know it would have been worked out great but that was an eye-opening part you know so that's another thing that where uh i've been wanting to ground hunt even more just because of that if if i'm in a tree then i have to tear it down and how many times well you know, setting up, I got I almost got busted. Where if I would have just sat yeah. on that ground, that whole entire scenario would never happen, because where I would have sat on the ground would have put him right in front of me anyways. You know? Yeah. I mean I, yeah. or I could have I could have made that move.
1: I almost feel like on the ground too that I get away it seems counterintuitive, but I feel like I get away with a lot more on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I get away with more if he wins on the ground. I feel like I get away with um more noise on the ground especially like if you're in like a crp kind of area like i don't think people realize how much that grass deadens noise that it doesn't travel like super far you know and you have the wind so you can't yeah see because you have like the wind cover and stuff like that um too you know obviously like especially if you're in the plains or in you know the crp area or whatever like with the grass blowing and stuff like that like you're getting a little bit of cover noise and stuff like that and i just felt like i could always get away with just just a little bit little bit more now the downside is like you aren't getting away with as much visually right because they they may not see really well but they see movement really well right and they'll they'll pick up like the change of light in an area because you moved and cut off the light for one second you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like you cross like a place like almost like you're walking in front of a blind in a house right where you can't see outside but you can see when someone walks by it because the light changes you know that kind of idea but I, i felt like like the i felt like my scent kind of hits the ground and disperses to a degree. So it's like, I have kind of like a, a large kind of scent profile on the ground, if that makes sense. But at distance, I feel like it's not blowing as hard and as far in like the direction because it's getting caught up on the, in like the, the vegetation, in the ground that I'm sitting in, like that right. I'm sitting on. Right. And so I feel like I can get away a little bit more with,
2: with scent to a degree. Especially those iffy situations. You know, yeah, and you and I
1: both know, right. It's like, that's always whenever the shit goes down is the iffy yep. shit situation, right. Because it's like the wind's almost dead wrong for you and almost perfect for them. And that's yep. whenever, that's whenever things go right, you know, yep. but um, dude, I'm curious now, like how do you, I'm imagining, you know, living in Montana, right. And you've got a ton of big game to hunt, stuff like that. Whenever the off season kind of rolls around is most of your off season geared toward, like getting ready for the next elk season or, you know, is it your, do you spend time getting ready for, to hunt whitetails? You know, do you split between the two? Like, how do you do that? Cause I, like, I know me, it's hard enough for me to kind of get everything done. You know, I'll say get everything done, but to like feel like I've accomplished the things that I wanted to accomplish in the off season, focusing on one species, you know, whitetails for me you know, in the area that I live in. Right. I can't imagine if I had like, all right, I'm going to try to do some scouting for some deer. I'm going to do some scouting for some elk. I might do some scouting for some, for some mule deer. Right. It's like, it just adds so much more to it. So I'm just curious how you go about managing that and what your off season kind of looks like for that.
2: That's, I mean, pretty much the shed hunting, uh, for whitetail. That's pretty much mm-hmm. the scouting too. Um, okay. again, I mean, it's pretty much, uh, it's pretty much for the rut that, that time mm-hmm. frame. Um, but yeah, most of, most of focus is in elk, uh, you know, uh, not yesterday, Saturday, Saturday ended up putting in like four and a half hours of computer time, just looking at different units, um, Mm -hmm. different areas and just trying to figure out, you know, what I want to do. Our, uh, application start March 1st. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just right around the corner. So I'm trying to figure out where I want to go. Um, Mm -hmm. the past two years I've been. So back when I was in New York, it was like 24 seven. Like you were like how we were talking about earlier. And it's almost like, um, not necessarily I had a burnout, but I just took it easy a little bit more. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, you know, I have to do this. I have to do this now. Like I'll, I'll, I'll get to it, you know, but I'm not procrastinating enough where I'm putting myself into a bind. And right. you know, it's kind of, I have my three areas that I want to figure out. I'll, I'll nitpick at it here nitpick at it there. And then, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. And then with the draw situations for elk, you can hope that you get that draw, but if not, you know, you're, you're going to another area, you know, you're going right. to be on a general. So you have to, you know, it's you, plans can change, come draw. So it's right. not like, it's not like putting a whole lot of eggs in one basket uh, kind of had that happen, you know, just, I'm, I'm going to go hunt here and it didn't happen. So I guess that was kind of a learning curve on that point. But once you get that tag, you know, once there's that confirmation, yeah, you know, you know, you're going to be hunting here. Then it's, you know, you're putting a lot more focus in on that one.
1: Right. Right. I think that's the one thing, too, that, again, that I enjoy, you know, what I like about elk hunting and what I like about hunting Kansas is that it's less for me, it feels like less scouting and more hunting the animal. If that mm-hmm. make if that makes sense. Right. Because Kansas, I don't run truck cameras. I don't go there early to scout. I go there, I glass and I find critters that I want to chase and I go chase them. Yep. That's, that's, that's what I do. Right. When I go to Idaho to hunt with my buddy, Wilson, like you know, to elk hunt, like he does some scouting, you know, he's, he, he just loves to be outside. So that dude's like anytime he has time off, like he's in the mountains walking and you know, stuff like that. But there's an area that we're going to hunt, you know, and we'll go hunt it and it'll just be, go find animals, and then go hunt them. You know, we won't really know what critters are happened to be there or aren't there or whatever. And so I'm just curious, do you, one, like do you use any trail cameras at all? And two, if you don't, do you feel like not using them and just going and hunting is more freeing than knowing what's there?
2: Um, I have some cameras out, you know, I put them out, but as far as, traditionally like what we use them for for whitetail you know back east mm-hmm. they're, they're more or less just sitting out there you know and I'll, I'll pick them up when i, when I get to that area uh, more or less future knowledge and things like that um mm-hmm. and it has been a lot more you know as far as i had no idea that deer you know was there um i have no idea what kind of deer in that specific area too like i was saying how deer in pockets is kind of the same thing mm-hmm. with the age class um right. I had I have no so that's two years I've been down there and I just I didn't know what age class to even look for, you know, is this is this top tier? Is this, you know, it's just bottom of the road. And uh I actually I, I contacted um uh, an adjacent landowner, you know, asking him for permission. Um and uh and he said no, but he was you know more than free to talk about white to, you know, deer. So I had right. two different conversations with this guy just about deer and um, you know, come to find out, you know, that, that would have been one of his hit listers this year. You know, there was uh, three other ones in the area that are, um, you know, he said not significantly better, but you know, a tad bit better than him, mm-hmm. but talking with more. And that's pretty much what you're looking for in that area. So, you know, if, right. you know, if you have that imagination of uh, you know, I need to look for this specific size, you're going to be sitting there for a long time. You know, that thing's right. never going to come through, but that's, you know, it's good knowing that, um, you know, for elk wise, I haven't had a lot of luck, um, on running them, you know, for elk, uh, it seems like every area, uh, that i put, you know, cameras in, um, it shows elk and shows some time frame. but as far as capitalizing on that, you know, knowledge, it's just more or less like, yep, there's, uh, there's elk here. And I mean, you right. can pretty much, you can pretty much find that out just by walking through. So it's right, more or less right. just for person, personal. Cool. And you know, I'll have this, done, right. you, know, <laughs> you know, Holy shit. There's a mountain lion, you know, and things like that. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I totally get it. Like, and that's, you know, and for me, you know, I, I put cameras out still, you know, quite a few of them. I, I didn't check any of them this year. I think I checked one this year. Um, and I've started checking them, not really checking them during the season. Cause I feel like going back to what we were talking about earlier, of keeping things simple. I think sometimes we complicate things because we'll get one piece of information that the trail camera showed us. And then we want to believe that's the gospel. Cause it might be the one thing that we wanted to know. Right. And it like, and it affirmed our biases and all of a sudden, like we're going to, oh, we're going to make our whole hunt plan on that one piece of data. Right. As opposed to like the mountain of evidence you have from scouting and just being in the woods and walking through places and knowing where critters are, you know, all of a sudden you've let this one thing kind of deter everything that you've already known and so for me it's like i enjoy places where i kind of go in and not know you know what's mm-hmm. gonna what's gonna happen like i'm getting to that place now like maybe it's because i'm getting old you know i'm getting older and i'm like eh, i don't want to know man I just go out and hunt and see what happens yep. you know it's like and maybe it's because i'm tired
0: <laughs> from work
1: <laughs> <laughs> From work, yeah, I'm, not, I'm
2: not gonna go check that
1: yeah i'm like yeah you know what man it's like i'd rather not know we'll just see what happens you know and just wing it see what see what shakes loose man but uh speaking of uh getting tired dude that pack out you had uh during elk season this year had to be had to be tiring because dude you had you had a hell of an elk season so for anybody listening who doesn't know keep me honest here you killed a mountain lion first right that was the first one that was the first thing that happened Yep. and then, like within an hour, you ended up killing just like a hammer of a bull like in the same like within like sixty minutes of each other
2: right no nope so i um I shot the mountain lion at like okay. seven forty five in the morning and then I okay. shot the bull at like seven thirty that evening
1: Oh, okay. yeah so twelve hours same day like I yeah. still yeah, same, like <laughs>
2: same same day September eleventh um yeah, yeah, and it, it all. That 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 day, just I I'm still kind of in shock that even that scenario even happened. You know, did you even mount, think you
1: would see a mountain lion that day?
2: So that tag is an over the counter tag. Um, it's an archery only mm-hmm. tag. Um, you can't use dogs. You can't you can't do anything. It's, it's basically just a tag, a just in case tag, almost.
1: A dumb um, luck tag. A dumb Maybe. luck tag.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so back to the camera. Um, thing I had run a camp. I had ran a camera in there the previous year, actually, let's rewind two years prior, um, bear hunting, I caught, I crossed the cat track, maybe it was three years, three years, So two years. So three years. I crossed, I crossed the cat track. Um, the next year, my buddy Dustin and I, we went in and, um, hunted that same bridge for bear and we had. A mountain lion chased a mule deer past us at 40 yards. Like it was like we, we were walking up. Basically what had happened is that deer saw us and spooked. And that mountain lion must have been just there, just about ready to, to capitalize on it. We we ruined his hunt. And right. uh yeah. you know, it came it came tearing right by us at 40 yards. Um so then it it would be that fall, uh Bo came out to hunt. And we were calling a bull and, uh, the bull just shut right up. That following spring, I went back and got that camera and come to find out is the reason why that bull shut up is we had a mountain line in between us at like 60 yards. Mm -hmm. So that's why that, you know, that, uh, bull shut up and nothing happened. So I kind of like, you know, every year I've had some kind of encounter. Maybe, maybe I'll get lucky and I'll, you know, I'll get an elk and um i'll get the meat packed out and i'll go sit on that you know the the carcass for a day mm-hmm. just in just in case but uh yeah it, it didn't turn out that way i uh um got in there september 10th i didn't out opening weekend i, I was uh, trying to chase a bigger speed goat um mm-hmm. so i got in there um i didn't draw my tag that I, got, I wanted to so this is kind of a fallback area and from the previous year hunting with Bo, I kind of knew you know what the elk wanted to do or where they wanted to be so it was just kind of like just play it slow i got there there's one truck on the trailhead so and it was the middle of the week or beginning of the week um so yeah I, I kind of just sat back uh sunday night i got set up like a my camp was like a uh, remember like high school parties you get to the party and yeah you throw the tent up real quick and like let's go party you know it, it was, it was yeah. like that you know it was like half half put up and <laughs> I got down. I, I,
1: it's like sagging in the middle. Oh, no, it, it,
2: it was sagging. <laughs> like when I got back that night. I'm like, I looked at. It, I was like, shit. What I do, you know? So <laughs> I'm at night. You know, I'm trying to put the whole thing together and get my camp. It was like on a, a hill. It was horrible. But um,
1: <laughs> rolling down the hill while you're sleeping.
2: It was, it was that's what would have happened. You know, it was a tarp actually right. too. So I would have rolled right out of the tarp. And actually, I set right. it up wrong too. I set it facing up the hill, mm-hmm. so all the thermals from the mountains. All night long, just whipping down through it, just freezing cold. <laughs> but I, I set, I set up. Um, I, I just went down and listened, and you know, sure shit. From the PVC, the elk did the same exact thing. They came off an adjacent ridge, and they just went down. And, like you could hear them talking. That's the beautiful thing about elk, especially if you got time. Is they almost they they, they give their location the whole entire time. It's not like you have to trail mm. them or, you know, you know you're guessing this is what they're doing. You're. you're the, in the moment listening to what's going on right so the next morning um i was planning on pretty much i wanted to either intercept him going back up or uh, listen to him go back up to bed and i was going to put a stalk on the bedding area um so i got down into a little a little glassy knob that's right in front of a meadow that's like a 500 yard meadow you got a, a, a creek on this side and then it's just a steep hillside on the opposite side and the way that the sun well, when i got up It was almost like a frost. It wasn't like a hard frost, but it was just enough to make the the grass crispy. Mm -hmm. So when I'm sitting there, you know, obviously like this meadow is pretty wide open. The sun's hitting it. Everything's melting off. I'm I'm just consistently checking the thermals and the wind and everything's good, but it's silent. Nothing's talking in the morning. I'm like, well, looks like I'm going to be, you know, I don't, I'm still haven't seen anybody. haven't heard anybody bugling. I still have it all to myself. I'm like, I'm just going to slow play this whole entire thing. Like, no elk, so I'm trying to think of, like, what to do throughout the day. Um, You know, do I scout? You know, do I risk going up there? I'm pretty sure they're up there. Do I risk, you know, trying to stalk in through there? And while I'm contemplating, I catch movement off into this little creek side, this little timber. I'm looking down in there, and I see brown. And so there's white-tailed doe down in there. And the first thing, white-tailed hunter, these does, I'm like, if they come over this way, they're gonna start blowing. Like it's just gonna ruin my whole mm-hmm. morning, you know. And I'm like looking. And I'm like, where where do they go? And all of a sudden, I was like, 50 yards ahead already. I'm like, holy shit, they're, they're, they're cruising through there. So I get the mm-hmm. vinyls. I'm looking, looking, and finally I catch the brown again. But this time I catch the tail. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I, I immediately said mountain lion. No, I had the tag. So I, I I stood up. I'm like, what do I need to do? And it was just almost instant. Uh, just went into hunt mode. I'm like, I need to get in front of this thing. And I took two steps and my first thought was is like how crispy everything was. I'm like, I'm never going to be able to make it 7,500 yards down there without him hearing me. It's like dead silent. Now took two mm-hmm. steps and all that sun had made everything just wet. So like nice. super quiet. So I, I pretty much beelined it right to this adjacent tree line and it was like 75 yards. And then I had to go. For, towards him, I got to a point where pretty much it was two points meeting with a twenty-yard gap, and that creek system was about a forty-yard to the back. I'm like, if he goes through that timber up that mountain, I'm never going to see him. Like that's that's fine. He's not going to go out to this meadow. I uh, was wide open, five hundred-yard wide meadow. He's not going to do that. He's either going to come across this creek, or he's going to come right at me, and. It seemed like no sooner than I said, he's going to come right at me. I caught I a caught movement right behind, like, a um, pretty much a dead juniper and I caught the movement and I was like, holy shit, you know? And so hmm. I, I went ahead and drew back cause he's already there. I went ahead and drew back. He turned the corner and as he turned the corner, he stopped and he looked. And I, I, I you know, it's you talked about being present over the past couple of years, I've never been more present during the hunting situations. Than I have over these past couple of years, I don't know what, what has clicked whatever, but it was like that. I was clear as day. I'm like, looked at him. I'm like, that's a decent sized cat. I'm looking right at his eyes. I'm like, don't fuck this up. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm by myself. Um, I don't want to wound a mountain lion. It's a, it's a big cat. Um, and it's a, a frontal shot. So I, I, mm-hmm. I pretty much put the 20 yard pin right on, let it go. It hit him. He went five yards, stopped, flicked his tail around a couple of times. Like what is going on here? And took a couple more steps. Now he's in the tall grass on that bank. And all of a sudden I see the hind legs with the tail following going up and over. Like no way, you know, like first actual day of the hunt, um, a, a mountain lion. I just pretty much did a stalk slash ambush on a mountain lion. That's crazy, dude. The most nerve wracking part is walking up to one of those things. <clears throat> I was
1: just gonna say that. Like I would there'd be a little bit of pee, not gonna lie. I, walking I, up on a walking up on a mountain line that I just killed, hoping that he's dead when I get there. Cause if he's not, that's that's bad for
2: you. <laughs> he uh so I I doubled around, I came up on that hillside, so now I can look down on it, you know, obviously getting higher, you get a visual. I can see him down in there. Right. I got down to like, you know, forty yards and I started looking for rocks, sticks, all sorts of things. He 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 had a pile of debris laying around him by the time I finally got enough, you know, like, okay, he's, he's done. You know, I gave Don't him enough time. stones to
1: walk up on him. Yeah. You know, like
2: <laughs> it, it was, and it, you know, admiring them, you know, like just absolutely machines. They are a hundred percent pure muscle. Mm-hmm. I grabbed his hind leg to try to pull him up the bank and when I grabbed it. You know how a cat is how their claws are, are um, you know, their back. But once you, you can squeeze their paw and they'll come out the way I grabbed it, his claws came up and hit my, hit my wrist. I freaked out. I just threw my hands up, walked away real quick. You know, like it, it just, it startled <laughs> me so bad, you know, but yeah. Um, right. I got him up on uh, the bank and um, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I, I just dumbfounded that it was even happening. I don't know how, if somebody was watching me, like they must have thought I was like, you know, like special because I was laughing hysterically, <laughs> you know, like I was hysterical. Then I was like just in shock. And I went through a whole range of emotions that, you know, that i never thought that that scenario would ever pan out or, you know, having that opportunity to do that. Yeah. you know, Dude, so, That's
1: wild, man. Like killing a mountain. I was telling my wife about it last night. I think we were talking about it. Okay. She asked me, she's like, yeah, hey, what podcast do you have this week? And I told her I was doing one well with you. And, uh, and she always asks like, cause she's like, you know, like people from all over the place. She's like, I never know how you know these people. And she's like, how do you know Tim? You know? So I kind of explained it to her and she's like, what are you guys going to talk about? And I was like, I was like, the craziest thing. is was like, he had this day where he killed a hammer bull elk. I was like in a mountain line. She's like a mountain line. I'm like, yeah. I was like, she's like with his bow. And I'm like, yeah, she was like, on the ground? And I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> she was like, she's like, I didn't know anybody could do that. And I was like, me either. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you right? know, I was like, cause you know, cause she's like, you don't see those very often, do you? And I was like, no, not that, not to my knowledge. I was like, you know, I've been in cat country a couple times. I was like, and you know, I know where I hunt in Idaho, like there's a lot of cats, you know? Um, and, None. You know, Wilson's been there a couple of years. He's not seen any like in the wild. Like they're just not you don't see them very often. right You know what I mean? It's like And so they, they kill they one they on the see, ground like that.
2: They see you more than you see them.
1: Oh, that's well, that's a, I, that's I a hunt. yeah. It. Yeah, like I was like a buddy of mine um that I met through Wilson when I was in Idaho. We were just kind of talking about it the one day. It was, I think it was like the last day of the hunt if I'm not mistaken and we were just kind of BSing about we were BSing about cats and um and grizzlies that like to use that area, like for you know, to they don't they don't spend a lot of time there. Usually the ones they see there are usually juveniles. Um, probably because they got kicked out of like the main range of yeah. an older male. Yeah. Um, and uh we were just kind of talking about it. He was like, Yeah, he's like, not, I haven't seen grizzlies very often. He's like, Now cats, on the other hand, he's like, I promise you, he's like, You've probably walked under no less than like 10 this week.
2: Mm-hmm. And I was
1: like, Really? He's like, Yeah, he's like, There's that many here. He's like, There's tons of cats here he was like, and I promise you, you were within like bow range of multiple cats. And I was like, man, that don't make me feel good. I was like, I'm glad this is the last time <laughs> I'm glad you didn't tell me this on like the first day, you know, right. it's like, you know, good to find out as I'm getting ready to get on a plane to come home to Pennsylvania where cats don't eat you here. You know,
2: there, there's, there's definitely been times where like, you just get that feeling you'd yeah. be walking Someone's along, you know, just hiking along. And all of a sudden you're like, where are you you know just like you just got that feeling yeah. you're just like okay i'm just gonna go ahead and there's nothing here anyways yeah. i just need to get to that next spot and you just kind of hightail for a little yeah. bit and yeah but so how did always, um go ahead it's always that it's always that squirrel moment though like you get that feeling and you go you get moving all of a sudden oh rub you know there's an oak rub ooh, right rub. there something <laughs> like that you know like we yeah. get all about yeah. everything
1: yeah, you all of a sudden forget there's something behind you that wants to eat you.
2: Right. You know? <laughs> he had a pretty dicey, uh,
1: I wish I could remember the story, the way like the way it actually all went down, but he had a pretty dicey situation um, on a deer hunt with a cat that was in that particular area and wouldn't leave, and it went off. I mean, he wasn't sure how far away it went, but it was getting close to dark, and he was like, man, I'm just going to get down and give up like the last 30 minutes of light because I don't know where that cat's at you know, and I'm going to just try to get out of here. And then the cat ended up like following him, like as he was hiking out, you know? And I was like, dude, I was like, did you go back in and hunt that? I think he might've went back in and hunted it later. I was like, dude, that would've been the last time I ever hunted that spot. That'd have been it. I was like, there could be a world record whitetail in that area. I'm not hunting it, you know? (laughs) It was like not happening, you know? Um, But now, so you kill that at like 7.30, you know, in the morning, first thing in the morning, like right off the rip in the morning. So how did the elk hunt go down? Because like, not going to lie, man, like I would have been like party central after that. I kill a mountain lion on the ground with a bow, at, like 20 yards. Like I would be going back to camp. If I didn't have beers there, I'd be going to get beers. And that would have been my day. Like I'd have been like, whatever, can't get any better than that. You know, but you ended up going elk hunting the rest of the day.
2: So uh, the original plan uh, while I was caping or uh, skinning him out was to get him back to the, the vehicle, get him in a cooler and then come mm-hmm. back. I'm like, uh, I guess I'm going to, you know, I'll, he'll probably have, you know, two or three days in the cooler, you know, um, I'll come back, hunt for a couple of days and then I'll, I'll get him to the taxidermist. Mm-hmm. While I was doing that, the same exact spot where uh, I had shot my bull the year before with bow. of bull bugles while, while I'm skinning this cat out. I'm like, well, plans changed. I know that area, you know, we were up there. I know that area kind of much figured out where he would want to be. So I got that cat skinned out, took him to camp and I went elk hunting. Um, I ended up uh, not seeing him where that spot was. We basically must've just missed. So as I was Mm -hmm. going up, I, I caught wind of elk. I'm like, it wouldn't make sense. Cause there's a main trail right there. I'm like, why, mm-hmm. why, why, why would that happen? You know, he's still gotta be up there. Maybe some cows or anything. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Anyways, I did a loop. Um, I made a call. So in Montana, you have to call report a uh, mountain line within 24 hours. So I was mm-hmm. up, I was, I had some service. I made a call. Um, as I was coming back down, I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to check that where I smelt those elk. And, um, when I got to that spot, a couple or two dudes were coming down the trail. They're coming in to hunt. And, uh, I had an arrow knocked. And my first thought would be if I saw, you know, some guy with an arrow knocked creeping would mm-hmm. stop. And I'm just going to back out. I'm just going to sit right down. I'm going to hold up. You know, this guy's, uh, there's something going on here, you know? Right. And he's like, how's it going? I'm like, <laughs> and oh, howdy he said that, Yeah. So <laughs> over that ridge, where you know basically you have the main trail the ridge comes over for some reason that bull was right there i'd walked by him and came up and around as soon as he said that all of a sudden you know you can hear the bull taking off and and you know talking to the guys for a little bit and they i felt like they're trying to peacock me they're like Hmm. yeah they're, they're like yeah there's that's probably a mule deer you heard there's not a lot of elk over here i'm like like why are you trying to bullshit me dude and like i, I right. i'm like I just, i'm just kind of playing dumb like oh yeah you know mm-hmm. this and that meanwhile i just shot a cat he never right. never said a word about it you know and you know i'm like yep. oh yeah you know they because they're just leading the conversation i'm like yeah yeah you know i was getting time you know i i gotta get back for lunch or whatever I, i'm camped right over here and um so by then it was like i don't know about four o'clock or so and so i did i, I be lined it back to camp and um made myself a quick lunch, but now it's getting close to that the evening time. And I wanted to be set up for those out coming out that Ridge. Cause I, again, never heard them pretty much knew that they were up there. They just weren't talking in the morning.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, so where I wanted to intersect them, uh, cause I, again, I wanted to play this whole entire area slowly. I, you know, I just wanted to slowly get to the main area that I really wanted to be in. So I get to the point where I want to intersect them. As I'm coming along into this, you know, this basically is an aspen quaky. I'm going. I'm like, okay, I need to, you know, hurry up. I'm like, I think I want to get a little bit farther. And all of a sudden, this big smiling face just turns around out of the, out of the brush. Hi, and he says, I'm like, shit, you know, like it was a, a kid was a kid was sitting there that they came in camp. Um, right. And they came up from the bottom. I'm like, holy shit, you know, I'm sorry, you know, like I'm like I'm like I'm like. I'm like is anybody down below you? He's like, no, that's my, like, you know, my father's up there and we're right here. I'm like, you guys are in a great spot right now. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, get out of here. So as I'm going back, I'm like, well, looks like I'm going to that area. You know, I didn't want to get down in there yet, but it looks like I'm going to that area. So I get down into the spot and when I get into this location, I knew of a crossing that they had liked to use um, the basis of fence crossing. And, um, when I got into that little pocket, I could smell elk. I'm like, they, they were here in the the morning and I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and set up. So I got set up. I'm sitting on the ground. I'm not calling or anything again. I'm just trying to wait, you know, slow. I'm already kind of flustered that I'm down there. I don't want to be down there yet. There were also those two were camped super close to where these things wanted to move through. And it was just kind mm-hmm. of like, why would you do that? You know, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And just the whole entire range of emotions throughout the day. I'm like, you know what? It was a great day today anyways. And you know, I'm just going to sit back and sit back and, you know, and listen to the the uh, the elk bugle or just sit back and enjoy my evening. You know, mm-hmm. the elk started bugling right where I knew they were probably going to be bedded. They started bugling. He start, they started coming down, coming down, coming down. As I get about where the father and son were about that same line, a bull mm-hmm. on this side started bugling. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm like, Oh, they're talking to each other. And the thing is, mm-hmm. these two ridges come down they kind of meet each other. Mm-hmm. They're talking, they're talking. Next thing you know, this herd has now passed that father and son I'm like they're they're past him by now they're getting closer to me. So it's like a, like where I'm at, there's like a little drainage meadow, field almost, I can't see down in there, but I can hear those elk. They're coming by me. And as they're coming by me, they're kind of, now they're circling behind me. And I'm like, how did they not win me? Don't know how they didn't win me, but there's a couple little cuts and draws and I'm on the ground. Um, but yeah, for some reason, you know, they just kept on and kept on going right around behind me. The bull that was on my left, he's still screaming at him and now he's getting closer to them. So now I'm like, you know, kind of turned back around. Now that crossing where I was expecting them to come at me and come across. me, now they're behind that crossing. Time's dwindling down, dwindling down. They're, they're, they're getting closer and closer to each other. But now instead of going away from me, now they're doubling back. Don't know what's going on. I can't see, can't see. Then all of a sudden you hear this commotion, cows mewing, antlers cracking and then stop. And all of a sudden you just hear the thunder of hopes. Four, or four cows hopped that fence coming right at me, and all of a sudden, this bull just turned a juniper with his head back, turned that corner right to that fence, and I'm like, shit. Those cows are coming across, and I only had, had one range mark kind of a deal. It was like 50 yards, there's a juniper, so in between. Those cows came across from just... Thought and then seeing other things, um, like again, like I guess Bo his video, he was trying to mew or stop those cows and the bull coming through, but they're just going. They're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately, the only thought in my mind was like, I need to stop these cows, and the only way I can get do that is like, I need to startle them. Almost like if they are if they see something move, they're going like wait, what's that? Yeah. I scream at them, you know, like what's going on. So I just went ahead and drew. I drew back. The cow stopped that bull now he's right on him now he's like wait he kind of held up he's looking at him like why aren't you running anymore and he kind of looked at where you know where the cows were and from that tree to where that you know where i was i got the pin settled on the bull and hanging out with elk hunters guys have done it years and years and years we've gotten multiple elk one tip um i learned was from my buddy uh seeley and he goes, and I told him about the ball the year before, I shot too far back. He goes, four inches from the crease, bud. Four inches from the crease. That all, that, you know, the way he said it almost sounded like Spicoli, you know. Right, and uh, right. <laughs> like, and it's stuck in my mind. I'm like, I got drawn back, and I have a vertical pin, and it was right on the back leg, like four inches from the crease. And it, that whole entire thing. And the other guy, Rob, who owns uh, Superior Archery, the archery shop, he's like, he goes. If my 20, my 40 yard pin settle in those vitals, I'm just ripping it. He goes, mm-hmm. he goes, he's going to be high either high lung or low lung. It doesn't matter. It's a dead elk. Mm-hmm. When I was drawing back, I had, so I have 20 to 45, 20, 35, 45 and mm-hmm. shooting at my target, I have one of those 18 to one, um, Reinhardt's that's yep. about the size of a, you know, the top of lung bottom of lung. And I know that my 20 and my 45 yard pin, when I set them on there, you know, I'm like I'm gonna be within there. When I got you know drawn back, I settled that on there. I'm like, shit, those things are right in there. But I'm like, he's he's a little bit farther back. So I put my 35 yard pin pretty much center mass, four inches up off the leg, and let it rip. I I don't run that lighted knocks. It's getting dark enough where you know um, the arrow disappeared and against the in the contrast of the body, I heard it hit. I heard this solid hit. Columbus could be. He ran, he stopped, and that's when he stopped. I got I got flustered. I try yeah. to get so I, I try to get my second my arrow off. I, I fumbled the arrow. I'm trying to pick the arrow up. I'm trying to I mew at him again. I get the arrow knocked. And, you know, I'm I'm just all flustered. He's just standing there. I'm like, what's going on? Why is he just standing there? You know, like he, he should have seen me moving. Should have just ran off. The cows are long gone. Right. Why is he just standing there? You know, finally I get a range on him. I get clipped in, I, I look and he starts to take off. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, I just had it, you know, I I I know I hit him, you know, that the release felt great, everything where it should have been, you know. The yardage is the only thing you know I you know, I, I guessed on the whole entire thing. Everything else was great, but I know I hit. When he took off, he just went around a Juniper and um actually went like around around Ponderosa. And when he took off that bowl, so there's two bowls, remember, and there's two, mm-hmm. you know how elk are, they're, they're, they're very distinctive sounding. They can be. Yep. The other bull sounded, was sounding off and he just obliterated a tree. I don't know what, you know, I don't know if he got his his cows taken from him by this bull or, you know, or what the scenario is, but he just went at this tree and just caused a commotion. I couldn't hear, I, all I could hear was that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: now that i know during that time frame my bull tipped over mm-hmm. in the timber so that bull i'm listening to that whole entire chaos go on he's just hoofing and you know grunting and you can hear him just pounding at this tree he finally gives up and you know he walks off and he's bugling away and then all sets in you know i'm like holy you know mm-hmm. holy shit this happened I'm like, that was a really good bull that i just shot. I had no idea what he was you know i'm like that was it could have been a raghorn honestly. Mm. And that whole entire scenario played out. I'm, I'm, I haven't shot enough out to want to, you <laughs> right. know, to, to do the aid, yeah. you know, the AC, I, I just, I want to get yeah. reps in. Like we were talking about before yeah. I just want to get reps in the whole entire scenario. Um, flustered, I get up, stand, you know, I walked to where that ball was. My arrow was like, you know, 15, 20 yards past where that bowl was and just soaked in blood. You got
1: full pass through.
2: On full pass through. Nice. And, I love iron Wolves. I hate iron wills. There was absolutely no blood trail. Yeah. So now it's dark. Um, I actually get some service there. I, I call my buddy Jeremy and, um, I am the emotions of the whole entire day. Um, I'm having flashbacks of last year. I knew this was a good bull. Um, I'm already starting to get bad thoughts in my head. I'm trying to talk to him. But I'm not really talking to him. Now I'm talking to myself, but he's on the phone. And like, you know, he 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 had said, he <laughs> right. goes, he goes, you sound the next day because he came to help me pack out. He said, yeah, right. you sounded absolutely lost on what was going on. This whole entire time, my headlamp, I have a battery-operated headlamp. My headlamp is getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Mm-hmm. I get to the tree line and I told myself two or three times, stop, change your batteries. I get mm-hmm. to the tree line, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not pushing it anymore. I haven't found any blood, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm just going to let him lay. It'd be better than bumping them. You know, that's kind of what happened with the you know, bull before I'm like, I'm just going to let him lay when in doubt back out. Right. Yep. So on the way out, I ran to that father's son. I tell them, you know, that I, uh, I shot a bull that it was complete melee down there. Um, go ahead, get down there first thing in the morning. I'll wait until like eight o'clock, you know, just, just, you know, give about an hour's worth of daylight to hunt. Now I'm, I'm going to come down in there and I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to end up blowing that place out cause I'm going to end up grid searching probably right. Sleepless. I mean, as you know, sleepless night, just mm-hmm. constantly thinking the worst. Um, Knowing that I did everything right. Uh, execution, you know, I didn't pull, I didn't, you know, look, I watched that arrow disappear in the scope of my, you know, bow. I didn't blink, blink anything. Everything was good. Just, I don't know how high or low it hit. Judging, you know, like I, like I said, when I found my arrow, I turn around and I range. I'm like, I should be right, you know, in that pocket. Anyways, morning time, I start walking back. I get about halfway there, and it's just a beautiful morning, sunset. In me, and I stop, and I don't do this often. I'm not a very spiritual person, um, but I, I stop, and I'm like, hey, Grandpa, Grandma, you know, like, don't let this happen to me again you know, kind of the deal and, you know, and, um, yeah. So I, I got there, my arrow was in the ground, I picked it up. So I started walking and I'm like, well, took this, there's like a two track right there. Maybe you took this two track and the the timber kind of V's a little bit. Maybe you took this two track. So I'm on this two track. I'm just my focus on the ground. I'm like, looking. no blood, no blood. I don't even see any hoof tracks. I come back around to where that V is, right, right where I stopped, turn around and looked. I caught Brown. I'm like, no shit. I just walked right by him. You know, so I took two <laughs> steps. I took two steps over. Yeah. And he was he was literally 40 yards in the woods. If I would have changed my headlamp, I would have recovered him that night. He tipped over right. right there. That whole entire chaos was so loud. I never heard him fall through all those, you know, all the the blowdowns and all that. Never mm-hmm. saw him, you know, with the headlamp, never heard him. But he was right there. He was he was done. Absolute perfect shot. Four, awesome, like dude. four inches from the crease. That's you know? awesome, dude.
1: What? Uh, how far did he end up being? What was it? What was the yardage again?
2: Uh, he ended up falling down at like uh, I think it was just over a hundred yards, maybe like one hundred and ten yards.
1: One hundred and ten yards. And then how far yep. was the
2: shot again? Uh, it was like a forty-yard shot. Like a 40 yard 30, shot. 30, Thirty-eight.
1: F- Thirty-eight. 30, okay. How far away from your camp were you?
2: Uh, that's about a mile.
1: About a mile. Okay.
2: So, dude, that's wild. The, man. the, the mountain lion the mountain line was around like 700 yards and then mm. same drainage same same path that bowl was about a mile on it
1: that's crazy that's crazy would he end up scoring he was huge
2: dude 361
1: 361 goodness man that's like that's like you want to see you want you to know, see him they, i would love to see him is he is he laying there somewhere yeah well,
2: get he's, him. He, he's on a, a skull hooker
1: Okay, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna pause for station identification here while Tim grabs his grabs his bull. Yeah, can you still hear me?
2: Yeah, I can still hear you.
1: Okay, cool. The uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Montana guy, uh, like he, I think it was a three hundred and sixty and some change bull that he killed, and he actually drew one of those one percenter units. That oh, nice! Are like a like once in a lifetime unit, kind of. Uh, like three so eighty. Like what's 380?
2: that i think 380 is like a one percent chance or like a bear pause
1: yeah it whatever it was like he yeah he drew some crazy tag that like in like, and you killed that thing was that a uh over the counter unit
2: no it's not a general i don't even know if no. that thing fits in there
1: uh barely like it, it doesn't all fit in there but dude that's giant dude that's crazy yeah bro. i mean
2: just compared to me
1: yeah, I mean he's as big. He's bigger than you are. His his antlers are bigger than you are. <laughs> it's I mean, like he's got two Tim's on the I, side of his head. I I, I
2: love two Tim's. Yeah. Yeah. How,
1: how big was your bull? Two Tim's. Two Tim's. <laughs> uh, that's crazy, man. That's how I'm gonna start measuring bulls now, dude. Two Tim's. Two One tim. or two Tim's.
2: <laughs> yeah. Can't wait to hear hear your uh, elk hunt this year. Yeah, we saw yeah, a couple of two Tim bulls. <laughs> a couple two Tim bulls. Oh man, yeah. dude,
1: that's bananas, dude. I'm so happy for you, man. That's, that's just like, would you consider that a bull of a lifetime?
2: So I've been told that's a bull of a lifetime. So Mm -hmm. here's my, here's my problem with that. Um, do you consider your whitetail, a whitetail of a lifetime?
1: Um, no, because I, I know where there's, I know where I know right now, as I sit here now, where there's one that's bigger. Okay.
2: So once in a lifetime, um, it almost makes me feel like that's a way of saying you should just quit, quit, right. quit dreaming, yeah. quit dreaming, quit, tra- you know, quit dreaming, quit chasing. Um, you know, you're never going to do any better than that. And the thing is I, I've seen, I've seen, you know, multiple bulls that size, you know, uh, mm-hmm. throughout the years. And so I know they're around is feasible, you know, it's not like,
1: uh, a- right. So for, so I think like, this is how I would frame that. Like, I think for like, if I killed a bull like that, I think that that would be a once in a lifetime bull for me because I don't live in a state where I can hunt elk every year necessarily. Yes. Right. So yep. for me, that would be a once in a lifetime because my opportunities are going to be limited. Right. I think, for a whitetail, like a once in a lifetime whitetail, like the one I shot was awesome. Love it. Like great deer, biggest deer I've ever killed, but I can hunt whitetails every year and I've known of where there are deer as big or bigger than him, like pretty much every year, you know? Right. Um, And so it's just a matter of like, you know, putting, having the time to go try to chase chase one, chase one down. Could it possibly be a, a, a buck of a lifetime for me? it's possible that I don't ever mm-hmm. shoot one that big again, you know, cause it's, it's yeah. a hard, hard deer to come by. You know what I mean? Like like not gonna, you know, not gonna belittle that. Right. You know? But do I think that there's zero chance that I would ever be in bow range of an animal of that caliber again? No, I don't think that there's zero chance because to like this last year when I killed that deer and the year before the one that I was chasing was 25, 20 to 25 inches bigger. Jeez. And I was in bow range. I was in bow, bow range with that deer. There's like 195 inches, right? right? And so two years back to back, I was on giants. You know, so like I think that's a great point that you make. It's like if that's if that's what you're gonna say, you can say it's you know a uh, it's a bull of a lifetime or a buck of a lifetime, meaning that like it's it's something that you'll remember for your life, but it's not a once in a lifetime thing,
2: right? Right. Yep. I mean, I'm you know. I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to stop elk hunting. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, I'm a smart enough hunter where if I can get the opportunity again, you know, it can make it happen. You know, mm-hmm. um, luckily I live in a state where I get to do it every single year. Um, yeah. you know, so putting myself in those situations, you know, is definitely possible. I mean, it's not yeah. like, uh, it's not like other people don't do it. I don't like, um, I don't like putting yeah, other people. Why, why, on not, why don't not? like me? Right? I don't like people putting other people on a pedestal like that. You know, like they, yeah. they, you know, they breathe and shit just like I do. You know, maybe they have better yeah. opportunities and stuff, but you know, why, why not me? Yeah. You know, why can't I? You know, mm-hmm. why can't that be me? So, right,
1: a hundred percent, dude. Like if you, you know, it's a, um, it's one of those things where. I've I've used this before in like talking to my daughter. was actually a guy um that I trained, it was a black belt that I trained with told me this one time. Cause we were just we were BSing about something. I forget what it was. Um and you know, he kills me when we train together, you know, rightly so, because he's very skilled. You know, and I said something about like I kind of belittled myself because at that point I was, you know, a lowly white belt. I think I said something like that, right? And his comment to me was, I don't ever want to hear you say that again. He's like, because if you can't think it, you can't be it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And so, and that just changed things for me, not only from like training perspective, but also just like a hunting perspective and just a life perspective in general. It's like, if you, if you can't imagine yourself doing something, then you won't. Right. And it's nope. like, if you can't think that you're capable of killing a 360 inch bull or a 380 or a, or 170 inch or a, or 190 inch whitetail, or just killing a good white tail doesn't even have to then doesn't, doesn't matter a mature white tail like whatever it is you want to do it doesn't have to be someone else's measuring stick whatever it is that you want to do if you can't imagine yourself doing it or see yourself doing it you're not going to not gonna happen know? yeah no one else is going to do it for you and truthfully nope. most people want to see you fail you know yep. so you know so you're not going to get any help anywhere else you know you have a couple of your buddies you know your close friends and stuff that want to see you succeed and they'll, and they'll do whatever they can do to help you do it and things like that. But, you know, nine times out of 10, most
2: people don't want to see you do it, you know? Yep.
1: So, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure, so I'm sure,
2: I'm sure someone will hear, you know, hear me say, you know, yeah, I don't think it's a bull a lifetime. And, you know, hopefully they say yeah, he'll never kill another bull, you know, especially like that. Right, uh, yeah. you know.
1: Fuel to the fire, man. Fuel know, to the we'll, fire. We'll, we'll right? see. <laughs> we'll see. That's right. Yep. <laughs> so man, you know, so if you lived in Montana for a couple of years now, you've, you've killed some good bulls, you've killed some good whitetails, I'm just curious, like when you think back on Tim that moved there years ago to, to Tim, to you now, like what are the, what are like the big lessons that you've learned? And they might not even be hunting lessons, but like, what did you maybe learn about hunting or maybe more importantly, what did you learn about yourself that has changed between then and now?
2: Don't, don't be, uh, I, I don't think I was ever like really afraid to fail, mm-hmm. but it was almost like, uh, putting, you know, like, uh, putting money down on where my mouth is, you know, that, that, mm. that saying there, you know, yeah. I've always said that, you know, I wasn't afraid to fail, but I never really, you know, other than, you know, back when I wrote BMX, you know, as far as right. doing something, you know, as far as a specific trick or something like that, you know, it's, you literally have consequences right then and there that hit you um right. as in like with the life moving out here i I came out here with no job lined up, minimum savings uh, I a roommate was from Wisconsin who was just moving out here who I've never met before we knew each other through train to hunt Facebook you know and mm-hmm. I had I, I know nobody out here so you know there was always that um that in the back of my mind, you know like can I make this work? And, um, you know, proving myself that I could make it work. And then that kind of just, you know, falls right in line with, um, you know, the hunting situation too, is I'm not afraid to fail. Like I've, you know, if I try something and it fails, if like that, you know, the deer I shot this year, if that, if I would have failed, I would have gotten right up in the tree. I would have, you know, probably d- said, you know, shit, you know, what could I have done better? And I would probably mm-hmm. would have sat in that tree the rest of the day and, you know, and, and hope that something else unfolded. It's just something that I, I'm not afraid to try something new, um, go out on my own and try it. And that's I mean, most of the time that's all it is. Like I'm I'm mm-hmm. solo quite a bit, so my failures, you know, uh, aren't seen. But that's something I've always like on you know social media. Like you were talking about, you followed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've kind of slowed down quite a bit on you know the posting, but that's something I've never. I've never been afraid to do is like you know, everybody always has their success. I I'm I'm one I'm you know a person to you know post it right up there, yeah, I suck today. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and, and yeah. here's the reason why. So yeah, yeah. You know, the 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 failure yeah. taking the chances. I wish I would have done it a long time ago, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't. But I'm I'm super thankful and uh, uh, you know happy that I'm out here that I'm you know experiencing it what it is now. Cause right. I, I don't, yeah. I don't see, you know, future wise, you know, I don't see it really getting much better. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, there's something to be said for getting out of your comfort zone and it, and it forcing you kind of into that. Cause I think sometimes we get comfortable in our little, our little tribes that we have and, um, you know, and we we're comfortable in our surroundings and, and things of that, uh, that nature and um we have maybe a status to uphold or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And so there are all kinds of reasons for us to not allow ourselves to um get uncomfortable and try some things where maybe we might fail at in order to kind of level up, right? Cause a lot of times to get better at stuff, you have to go backwards first, you know, because you're usually adding some new things to your repertoire that you're not gonna be good at, right? And the only way you get good at them is to do them and suffer the consequences, like you said. Right. And then eventually you do them often enough. You're like, okay, now I'm really good at this. And so now I can add this to my A game. Right. And so now all of a sudden when you do that, you level up, you know, and then it's noticeable. Right. But I think a lot of times we don't give ourselves the grace to have that learning period where we're not going to be our best all the time. Right. It doesn't mean you don't show up your best with like effort and willingness and all those things, but sometimes the outcome isn't going to show up as our best. Right, because we're honing and we're and we're working in the in the we're working behind the scenes, and people aren't seeing the work and they're only seeing the result. Right, that right. is like not exactly what I want. Maybe what people don't ex- not they don't expect from me, or whatever the case is, they expect more of a you know from a goal standpoint or from a, an accomplishment standpoint. But they don't see the work that I'm doing in the background. That way, whenever they do see me two years from now, three years from now, all the success that they see that that during that time period is because of all the missed goals or missed opportunities that they wanted to throw shade for for two years or three years or whatever the case was right you know what i mean so and that was kind of how i viewed my seasons the past couple years because i was i was working on some stuff (laughs) you know what i mean right and and i was taking my lumps you know and and you know doing this you know people get to see and see and hear all of it you know and uh and then this year whenever things kind of broke my way it's like well it wasn't by accident You know, it was because I spent years, you know, making mistakes, hunting on the ground in PA to get better at hunting on the ground, even though it probably wasn't the best choice, but it was because I needed to get better at it. You know, like Mm -hmm. it was all those, all those things, man. And I'm just, I'm super stoked for you. Um, One that you had a a hell of a year this year, but I'm super stoked that you're where you're supposed to be and you're having the experiences you're supposed to have and, and you're reaping the rewards of it because it couldn't happen to a better guy.
2: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And, you know, like you were just saying how you were bow hunting on the ground where, you know, you probably shouldn't have a, a lot of the failures I started doing. I did it on stuff that, um, I didn't really care a lot about, about having success for mm-hmm. uh, that, that. I mean, so it's, you know, um, I, I only bow hunt that I, mm-hmm. everything, everything I do is, is bull hunting. So, in order to get better, you know, uh, start off with turkeys. I don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to me if I kill a turkey or not. I, I like chasing mm-hmm. them. So they, what do they have? What's their, what's their number one, you know, defense or whatever. Vision, the eyes. And they see like a yeah.
1: crazy person. Yeah.
2: So if I can spot and stalk a turkey, there's my confidence booster, you know, going towards the next thing, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I started doing that. I've, I've never used a blind. I've killed what, five, six turkeys now. With a bow spot and stock calling uh learning different calling setups i've I've figured out how to set up my bow 20 yards ahead of me make those last two calls scurry up and shut up you know they'll come in looking for you just learning different things but always having the bow in my hand for the greater goal of elk and deer I, i feel i feel everything every repetition every critter has its own little thing to beat so if you can beat each little thing then it just makes you a better all-around hunter whether it's bow or you know rifle which i don't have anything against any of that i don't right. even really tell people that I even hunt just because that's right when they ask you know like oh, i'm like yeah i know i shot with the bow that's all i really use right. and it's kind of like oh that's a flex I'm like no it's right. not it's just what i enjoy doing you know you can do what you want you know right right Exactly.
1: Well, cool, man. I've had you here about an hour and a half, dude. I want to be sensitive right to your time. So I know you just, you got off work and then we started chopping it up on the podcast. Um, but before I let you get out of here, dude, uh, let people know where they can follow along with you or anything you want to make them aware of.
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, really the only thing I'm even uh, active on is uh, Instagram, which is uh, Tim Bunao, which um, I'm assuming Clint will spell it properly and uh, <laughs> yes <Yeah, sure.
1: laughs> sir <laughs> yeah. i had to double look at a double look at a couple times
2: <laughs> yeah that, that's uh that's really the only uh really form of anything that i i really do um, awesome so, yeah. well
1: hey man i appreciate you coming on dude and then hopefully one of these years uh i'm accruing points for montana um and i'll let you know whenever uh i i plan to push my chips to the middle for montana and maybe we'll be able to hook up for a hunt
2: yeah. Well, I mean, let me know what the species is and we'll get after it. I don't awesome, care. I don't care if it's all the only thing I won't do is a uh, mule deer.
1: Right. Okay. Right. Oh. <laughs> Thumbs down on mule deer. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Yep. I appreciate you, brother. All right. Thank you, man. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. And before I shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Osseo Gear, Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all.